Homestyle Green, episode 166. Thermal Envelope Basics. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. And this week I'm going to be covering some basics of the thermal envelope. Basically answering the question, what, what can I do to make my home a better place to live? And this is going to be more relevant if you're designing a new place rather than retrofitting. We'll, we've discussed a little bit about retrofitting and we'll go into that more, I hope, in the future. But, but basically, retrofitting is hard. It's, it's a hard thing to do. And some of our houses, I'm starting to think, that maybe they've just reached their use-by date and uh, it can be quite a costly exercise to retrofit them to a, a standard that is worthwhile. At least that's what I'm thinking with my my own 1950s weatherboard house that has uninsulated walls and it's kind of cold right now in the middle of winter. Anyway, uh, before we get into the detail of today, I just want to do a quick thanks to Proclimber, who are the awesome supporters of this show. And uh, they are someone you should definitely talk to if you're in the process of designing a new place for yourself or getting a, uh, a new home built. Or if you're building someone, uh, building a house for someone else, then talk to Proclimber about weather tightness, moisture control, and they look after all the tapes and seals and building wraps that you need to make a, a good performing home. I also want to do uh, say a quick thanks to Walker. Um, now Walker is um, Wood Care, uh, and they are from Denmark, and they have absolutely beautiful um, oils and um, products for protecting, cleaning, and protecting your wood surfaces, both inside and outside of the home. And the the best thing about Walker products is that they are super friendly uh, for you and also for the environment so they're a pleasure to use and you know that you're not adding loads and loads of toxic nasty chemicals because uh, poly polyurethane on the floor which is kind of the go-to here in New Zealand it's the standard um, cover of um, polished wood it's not really polishing you're just putting a, a layer of plastic on there basically and sucking in all the fumes from the polyurethane. So if you're on if you don't want to go down that path, then check out Waka. That's W-O-C-A and you can find them at Waka.co.nz. Alright now let's get on with today today's show. Um, I recently got contacted by someone who just wanted a little bit of advice and um, if that might be you as well. If you're ever in that category, then I'd love to hear from you. You can drop me a drop me a, a line, a, a call. My phone number is on the, the website, homestylegreen.com, or you can send me an email, matthew at homestylegreen.com, or even just leave a comment on the Facebook page. But this, uh, this gentleman called up and said, look, I, I'm under contract um, or about to sign a contract with a volume uh, builder, a, a large home builder, and we're looking at a concept plan now, but we just want to sort out some of the details. He was actually asking me about um, concrete slabs, which is something that I've talked a lot about on the show, and was after some advice on the best way to insulate a concrete slab. But we got talking a little bit about what was going on for the rest of the envelope. Now, as is the case with most home projects like this, budget is a big issue. 
And that's going to be one of the biggest objections to doing anything that is above code. But think about this. The building code is the lowest legal house you're allowed to build. It's the worst legal house that you are allowed to build or someone's allowed to build for you. It's not a target and it should be exceeded. Uh, and I encourage you to, if you're in the early stages, you've, you're about to build a house or if you are building a house for someone else, please, please go above the building code. Even the, the good folk at... Uh, at the Ministry of Business and um, Innovation who look after the building code now. Um, the, the guys that put the thing together will also acknowledge that it's a minimum. It's not a target. So it's definitely worthwhile looking at where you can cost-effectively exceed the requirements of the building code, particularly in the area that I'm most concerned about, which is insulation, um, because that's what's going to make your home Effect, cost effective to run, but more importantly, it's going to make it healthy. It's going to make it a, a comfortable, healthy, pleasant place to be. And it's probably going to look after the house. It's probably going to improve the longevity of the actual structure of the home because you're going to have less moisture issues. It's going to be warmer and drier, um, and it's going to just going to be more stable as well. So you're going to be uh, improving the resilience. So let's start at the top. Uh, the requirement for ceiling insulation is only a mere 2.9 up here uh, in the North Island around Auckland. Um, and down in the South, all of the South Island, so this is the other thing about the code, whether you're in Nelson, which is one of the sunniest places in the country, not necessarily the warmest, but definitely the sunniest, although Tauranga might have something to say about that, they have the same requirements for insulation as they do in Invercargill and Dunedin and even Queenstown. Think about how, how ridiculous that is. So um, particularly if you're in Queenstown or Invercargill, that doesn't make much sense at all. So the requirement down there for the ceiling is 3.3. Now, that's the total R value. So even when we start looking at these numbers, when you go and source insulation material or your builder is sourcing it for you, you're in most cases going to need a product that is higher than those R values. And that's because you get some thermal bridging when you install insulation. Because typically when you put insulation in a, a ceiling or in a wall, it's not a complete layer unless you do something special and you've got a good designer who can design a layer, which I would also recommend, um, that is a complete layer, then you're going to end up with some timber poking through. So you probably need a, a insulation material that's 3.6 or higher in order to achieve that final R value of 3.3. But remember, that's only if we are aiming just to hit that target. Had a... a um, Another conversation with someone recently asking me if um, material of R6.3 was in fact possible because they'd seen this come through on a consent that they were working on and they didn't believe that um, there was such a product. Uh, but there is. In fact, Knauf make a ceiling um, insulation material. It's 275 millimetres thick, um, so about a foot thick. Nice, big, fat uh, bats of insulation. And they have an R value of 6.3. And the question was, well, firstly, does this stuff exist? Is, it, is someone just making this up or is it a typo? 
Uh, no, it's not a typo. It does exist. You can go and have a look at canal insulation, and others will will also do material of of similar thickness. Um, but the second, the follow up question was, is that overkill, uh, particularly here in the North Island? And I would say it's maybe getting close in the North Island. Um, I would certainly go up around R four or five, even up here in Auckland. Um, but look at the budget. It may not be that much more expensive to go from a say an R4 up to an R5. It may be a negligible difference. Um, so have a look at the prices there. It's something that you're only going to do once, so you may as well do it right. Um, and the, the more you've got up there, the better, generally. Um, the other big point about ceilings is please don't put holes in the ceiling. You don't want holes poking through all that all that material. Because not only is that cutting down the effective area that's insulated, but you're also going to create little chimneys and end up with loads of heat loss straight through the ceiling. It's getting easier to do that nowadays because the biggest reason for people putting holes in the ceiling used to be downlights. And these days, the default, I'm pleased to say, are enclosed LED lights. And you want to have ICF rated lights, which means that they're completely sealed and you can insulate right over the top of them so you can have downlights which will keep the architects and the interior designers happy with their clean lines but it'll also mean that you maintain the integrity of your ceiling and have a complete layer of good quality insulation that goes right over the top of them. So that's probably enough on the ceiling. No holes, go above code. 2.9 here in the North Island is pathetic as is 3.3 in the South Island. So it's very, very easy to go above that. And I would recommend a, a double layer so that you're, when you, if you go up in the roof, if you can visualize that the roof, there's lots of timber there holding up the ceiling, you don't want to see any of that timber. You should be able to put one layer of material in between the, the joists and the, and the battens that are up there. And then a second layer or even a loose fill if you've got a, an airtight um, uh, roof above, then you can have a second layer going right across the top so that looking down on the, on the ceiling you can't see any of that timber and then you've got a complete insulation layer without any thermal bridging. So now let's come down to the walls. Um, the requirements there for the North Island 1.9 and I don't know why they didn't just make it the same across the whole country. The requirement for the South Island and Zone 2 is 2. So either 1.9 or 2 so you may as well go 2 or as again, again Above and you can you can get material um, up to two point eight that will fit in a standard wall thickness of ninety millimeters. Now one of the one of the inherent problems we have with walls is that we're asking a lot of a wall in our modern houses. We're trying to get about four things happening in the same plane. We've got the structure, which is the bones or the, the, the stud work and the, the thing that holds the house up. Uh, we've generally got utilities. So we've got all our cables and pipes and there's getting more and more of those, particularly the cables, even though we're moving to wireless, we've still got lots and lots of cables. We want data and everything else going through the walls. We've got plumbing in there as well. Um, and then we've got insulation. And insulation tends to get put at the bottom of the uh, the priority. So um, pipes and, and cables, if they're there, some cases there just won't be any room for insulation. And guess what? It just gets left out. It doesn't get added to somewhere else because there is nowhere else. You've got the cladding on the outside and the lining on the inside. 
Now, I would recommend um, a different wall structure to that in the first place. You can still build with a 90 millimeter frame because that's common, therefore it's cost effective because the, the material is very, very easy to come by. You can go to a 140 millimeter stud, which means that you can put a lot more insulation in there and you won't have as many problems because there's just more space to get all your plumbing and your pipes in there as well as your insulation. But I think the better solution is to do what a number of high performance homes have done, including people like the Zero Energy House here in Auckland and some of the passive houses that are now being built. They'll use a 90 millimeter frame or similar and then a another battened um, cavity either on the outside of that or on internally to that and then that separates out things like your utilities because it gives it an extra little space for pipes and cables to run that aren't going to interfere with the insulation and it also means you don't have to have nogs or those horizontal bit, bits between the the studs because you can have battening which adds to the, the structural integrity of the frames. Um, so you get a much more complete layer of insulation going in one direction. And then you can put bands on the outside of that going horizontally. And again, you've managed to completely cut or almost completely eliminate your thermal bridging through that wall. Much, much better system. Of course, there are other systems as well where you can put external insulation around the whole thing using things like polystyrene. We've had uh, Aridon on the show before. Uh, they're one such solution where you just leave the framing as it is. Don't worry about trying to stuff insulation in there, but put a, an, um, a polystyrene insulating material all the way around the outside of the structure. And I really like that as well because it keeps the structure warm and having a warm uh, structure of the home definitely makes sense. Um, so the same theory applies, 1.9 or R2 as the minimum requirement Fairly pathetic, easy to go above that and probably not going to cost you that much more. So well worth it. Um, you're not going to want to rip into your walls ever again, ideally. So do it once and do it right. Now, the question that he, uh, the, the gentleman was asking me about in the first place was the floor. And there are a couple of important things here. The Firstly, let's look at the code. Well, the code says that in a typical concrete slab, you need a mere... R1.3. Now, as I've, I won't go into the details of how that's calculated because it's a little bit more tricky with a, a three-dimensional surface of the concrete. And we're also not interested in just the heat flow going straight down. It's also the heat flow going out to the edges of that concrete slab. Um, needless to say that um, you want to go above that if, if at all possible. And it is possible. There's lots of material, and I've done... Uh, quite a few episodes, I'll link to those in the show notes for this episode about all the various options for insulating the edge of the slab to increase that and this is something that you will need to do if you're at all interested in going down the Homestar path you will need to have at least R1.5 in that floor slab now this of course assumes that you are going to use concrete for your floor and that is a over 90% of the market these days, unless you've got a, a tricky section that's elevated or on a slope and you're building with timber. But I wouldn't rule out timber. Uh, timber floors are much more easy to insulate and keep warm than a concrete slab. And the other argument for using concrete usually 
is, oh, what about the thermal mass? Because, you know, once it gets warm, um, that's going to help the house to stay warm. Well, let's be honest, most of us cover up the concrete. How many houses actually have exposed area of concrete or even vinyl and tiles? Most of the places we have tiles are in the bathrooms and they tend to be on the back side of the house, which are cold anyway. So don't kid yourself too much on the value of thermal mass unless you've got a good designer and a good design where the house is actually optimized to use that thermal mass. In most cases, thermal mass just simply isn't being used. And uh, there's a lot of, well, a whole concept of design around high performance and passive house is this concept of light and tight. And you don't get a light house by using lots of concrete. Now, I'm, I, I don't have a particular preference whether you use concrete. I've seen amazing uh, construction systems, which is a complete concrete house. You concrete walls, concrete floor, concrete roof. It can be done very, very well. I'm not advocating necessarily for concrete versus timber. Both have their uh, benefits. Both have their drawbacks. But don't assume that a concrete slab is the only way to go. If I was going to build a high-performance house, and hopefully one day I will, I would seriously consider a timber floor because it can be insulated to a much higher level much more easily. Um, but I also understand there are other benefits of concrete slab as well. Maybe it's speed, um, maybe it's um, sound attenuation, uh, you've got some, some mass there is better for uh, quietness as well again if it's designed to do that um, <clears throat> and there are ways of insulating it very very well now the code it's an interesting uh, part of the code that says the the minimum requirement for the r value of the slab is 1.3 unless you're applying heating to that slab so if it's a heated slab the requirement is for r 1.9 for a heated floor but I kind of th was just thinking about that and thinking, well, every slab is a heated floor, really, because you want your house to be warm. So what it's referring to by heated floors means whether if you're running some sort of heating element or hydronic heating, which is where you have uh, pipes embedded into the concrete floor, and you run warm water through those pipes and you have nice radiant heat coming up through the slab. So because this part of the code is to do with energy efficiency, it says if you're running heating in the slab, then you need to have higher R value uh, so that you're not losing that heat unnecessarily. But my argument is you don't want to be losing that heat unnecessarily regardless. And whether you're heating the slab by virtue of having pipes or an element in the slab or by running a heat pump or even by good design and, and using the sun, why would you make a differentiation between an unheated slab and a heated slab, in my mind? So uh, 1.9 is the minimum if you have heated floors. Easy to do if you, you can use systems like MaxRaft or um, uh, Insulape. There's loads of them. I've got a whole list on my blog all about um, concrete slabs. Check that out, and I'm sure you can find one there. Even the most common brand now out in the marketplace, Ribraft uh, in New Zealand, have a product called Hot Edge, and that will increase the R value from a standard 1.3 um, up to, uh, well, it actually it adds about an R value of 1 uh, around the edge of the, the slab. 
doesn't mean that you can simply add that. So it doesn't just jump it up straight to a 2.3. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite work like that with slabs, but it will definitely bring it close to that 1.9 mark and, and, and certainly give it 1.5, depending on the area and the perimeter length. And um, just while we're on the topic of perimeter length, the, the main point about perimeter length and, and area, which is how R values get calculated in the floor slab, is that the longer the perimeter is, the more surface area you've got. And this comes back to another fundamental principle of higher performance homes, is that simplicity is your friend. And it doesn't necessarily have to be boring. You can have very nice-looking, aesthetically pleasing buildings with a quite simple shape. You can also have very, very ugly ones that are ridiculously complicated. So if you've got lots of ins and outs and crazy um, contorted perimeter, you're just adding to the surface area and you're adding unnecessarily to the thermal bridging in the, the whole envelope. You can even still have bay windows and nice architectural features, but by clever design, you can have a simple slab, a simple roof line, and that all, that all helps your builder to um, build in straight lines. Angles, angles are hard in buildings in three, three dimensions. Um, and the more angles you have, the more places that it's likely to have thermal bridges, likely to have heat losses, and you're also likely to have air losses as well if you're trying to get an airtight house, which is definitely something that you might want to look at. All right, so we've done roof. You want to go well above 2.9 or 3.3 for there. You want to go above the required R1.9 or R2 for the walls, and you want to go above R1.3 for the floor. The last bit of the envelope is windows, and the requirement here is, again, a measly point, uh, sorry, 0 0.26. Say that again, 0 0.26. Now, uh, bearing in mind that our the roof requirement for the North Island, so here in Auckland, is only R2.9, the R value required for our windows is 0 0.26. So that's a whole um, order of magnitude lower. That's one-tenth of the R value. So um, on the inverse to that is you've got a, a material that will conduct 10 times as much heat through that surface than it will through an insulated um, roof. Even even if you look at the adjacent walls, if you manage to get up to, well, let's take um, the requirement for the wall is, say, R2 in the South Island. Let's, let's say you manage to do R2.6. Then that's exactly 10 times better than the requirement for windows. Now, this, uh, this window requirement, that's the, the R value of the, the, the total window. So that incorporates the glazed area. So typically that's double glazing, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, a lot of people think that you that double glazing is now mandatory in New Zealand. It's not. Uh, it's kind of hard to design a house without it, but because of some quirk of the building code, you can actually, and people still do. Can't believe it. People still do build with single glazed houses here in, in New Zealand. Crazy, I know, but you can get away with it. I wouldn't recommend that, by the way. Um, so the, the window R value is the, the combination of the glazed unit and the framing. So the easiest thing there to do to go above 0 0.26 
is to get a better frame because the uh, absolute most common frame here still in New Zealand is a straight, well it's not straight, but it's uh, just a regular piece of extruded aluminium. And now aluminium is a fantastic conductor. So whatever temperature it is outside on um, whatever day of the year, it's going to be pretty much that temperature, maybe plus or minus one, one or two degrees, on the inside of that frame because it's just going to conduct the heat straight through. So you can have the best house you like, you can have all the solar panels you like in the in in the roof and and have a whole bunch of insulation up there as well and think you you're just wonderful. You're going to have condensation on the inside of your window frames. And I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen on multi-million dollar houses where they've had hugely expensive architecture and and amazing heating systems with hydronic floor heating and they've got condensation on the inside of their window frames. And that's because this, this feature of aluminium, that it is such a good thermal conductor, and you don't want a good thermal conductor as part of your thermal envelope. The envelope is something to protect you from the outside environment, so separate the internal condition space from the outside uh, temperature and climatic conditions. So... The bare minimum I would suggest would be thermally broken aluminium window frames, which puts a thermal break in between um, that extrusion, and it will mean that you have at least some protection from whatever's going on outside. That would be the minimum. There are lots and lots of options over and above that, like going to uh, UPVC or timber, or even a combination of a timber frame with the protection of a, an aluminium uh, face on the outside. Lots and lots of options. Yes, that is likely to be the most expensive addition, if you like, to the thermal envelope. It's not going to be the most expensive part of your house, let's face it. You're probably going to spend more on that in your kitchen. But kitchens are easy to replace. You don't want to have to think about replacing your windows five years after you've moved into your house or or even earlier than that when you, when you get through the first winter and realise that, oh, hello, got condensation on the inside of my window frames. Your, your glazing might be all right because you've got double glazing, but it'll be on the frames that you, you still have a problem. And it's cold. Even if you don't get in, get condensation, you won't want to sit near those frames because you'll feel it. You'll feel the cold radiating, or it'll be the heat from you that's radiating and getting sucked out um, into the through that cold metal. So when it comes to the big question of cost, my recommendation is always spend as much of your budget as you can on windows. And that might mean that you have to make the house a little bit smaller. That's the easiest and most effective way of um, changing your budget is to, is to reduce the floor area. If that just doesn't compute for you, then think about if you're going to live in this house, maybe you've got young family or maybe you you just want to check it out for a little while and then and then gradually improve it over time, you don't necessarily have to go for the top of the range kitchen or bathroom or even just the fittings straight off the bat because those things can be easily replaced, but your windows can't. And I know it's not sexy, it's not uh it's not the things that your friends are going to come and go ooh are over. But it's the stuff that's going to make the real difference to how you feel about your house when you are experiencing living in there. And it's also going to impact your health. 
you're going to feel and um, much better. You're going to you're going to be much more healthy in a home that's going to look after you. And um, so that's really all I want to emphasize on this episode is to go above the building code as much as you can all the way around because the building code, like I said at the start, is the the worst house you can legally build. So um, it's not that hard with your insulation to top those up and then put as much of your budget as you can towards improving the quality of your windows. And there are beautiful windows out there. I said that they're, they're not something that your neighbours are going to or your friends are going to go, ooh, wah, over. But some of the, the windows are things of beauty. And the especially the, the tilt-turn hardware just are really... Um, a pleasure to use and they are the things that you're going to interact with in the home they're the things that you open and close and and the things that you you touch each day to to actually operate the house so i think it's it's easy to justify spending those spending more money on those all right well that is it for this week i hope you found something useful in there and if you have any of those conversations with your home builder and you get any pushback then let me know i'd be happy to come in and uh, help help uh, support you in your uh, persuasion to go above the building code and if you are a or if you're looking for someone to help design a house of that quality or build it then why not check out my list that i've got on the website it's over 100 people on there now um, you can find that over at homestylegreen.com and there's a link on the front page to, I think it says, uh, Green Builders. Uh, and it's not just builders, but it's also designers and pretty much everyone on that list, Green People it's called. Click on Green People and you'll find, um, basically you can't be on that list if, you, if you're not sort of, if they, if they haven't bought into what I've been talking about this week. That is it for me. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thanks also very much to ProClimate. Check them out. You'll need them in your building envelope as well for a high-performance home, proclimate.co.nz. And also for those beautiful finishes of all timber, inside and outside, check out Waka. That's W-O-C-A, waka.co.nz. I am Matthew Cutler-Welsh, and this has been Homestyle Green. Thanks for tuning in. You will be able to find the show notes for this episode eventually over at homestylegreen.com forward slash 166. Now go make a better place to live.